We're back again this week. Last week, we were talking about the different pillars of wellness, which are physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, environmental, and social. These are kind of known as the six core pillars. This week, we want to dive a little bit deeper into physical wellness, what physical wellness means. Um, what does physical wellness mean? What do we think physical wellness means? When we hear, hear the word physical, what comes to mind? And interested, just stepping back, those six pillars you mentioned, that's what we understand how the Global Wellness Institute um, defines them. So it's it's been framed like that. I don't know if it's kind of common knowledge. And then physical, when we think about physical, when I think about physical, all I would ever think about is, you know, physical activity, whether that's running, playing a sport, going to the gym. That's what physical is always meant to me. So physical in terms of fitness. Yeah. Working what... out, workouts. But it's obviously other elements to your body. So the other element in physical that comes into into mind for oneness is also nutrition, how you nourish your body, and then sleep. And I feel like traditionally it's always been that sort of sequence. It's been fitness, the working out, watching what you eat, nutrition, and then it's been sleep. And then now we're hearing more and more, and I feel like we're understanding and feeling more and more as well that sleep becomes actually the pillar number one and the top priority. It is. And Dr. Matthew Walker, who's a sleep expert, I know we've listened to, and to him and read some of his articles and information that, yeah, he absolutely would say at 100% you should be prioritizing sleep. It's the first initiative of a healthy mind and body. So you, and for me, it wasn't, I don't think I ever used to prioritize sleep. I know I touched on my, on my episode that when I overdid it as a kid, got too tired, it would result in migraine. So there was a pretty early sign there that needing to recuperate through sleep was, was important to me. But it's only been lately that I've really started to really prioritize sleep. It's something that I actively pursue now. That's, you know, getting a good night's sleep regularly, regular hours, um, regular time to bed, regular time to get up. Trying to get eight hours sleep is, is the focus. Sleep also really relates to the quality of your sleep. And what's interesting for me with that is my assumption was always I need eight hours in sleep and I sleep eight hours a night. That was kind of how I was thinking about my sleep. Most of the time I'm just sleeping through, which which is really good. To bring a bit more consciousness to that, what was really interesting for me is uh, last year you got me an aura ring uh, for Christmas, which I wear in the night. And that for me, for the first time, opened up a little bit more understanding my sleep. I actually need seven and a half hours of sleep. It's the kind of the best average for me. And understanding that the different types of sleep, the REM sleep, the deep sleep, the light sleep, and see the distribution of that. Um, because I think the REM sleep is just really a lot related as well to your imagination, to your creativity. And understanding the different types of sleep and tracking that a little bit helped me understand what influences my sleep going to bed later than you typically go to, like getting off of your sleep rhythm disrupts it, alcohol disrupts it, late night eating, late night being on technology, watching TV, iPads. We know those things, but when we sometimes see it in a graph, black and white, and we see it over a period of time, not just the day, you might remember the next morning, the day, but within a week or within three months, you don't really remember your habits. But relating that back can really help you make conscious about it. So I feel like it helped me be even more conscious about my sleep. So I've kind of really enjoyed that insight for myself. So that's very much, that's data-driven, which has given you an insight. Yeah. How do you, in the real world, before you had the aura ring, would you recognize if you did some of those things, you would have a less quality sleep? And now that you can see the data, can you pinpoint it to something where it says your sleep wasn't optimal therefore and it, you know that yes you drank alcohol you went to bed late or you were on your iphone or whatever it may be yeah i mean i think usually you kind of have an understanding if you don't sleep very well and you think back straight in the morning of what happened last night was it one of those factors 
I feel like you forget though, because you might remember that morning, but then if you don't track it next week, the month after, you kind of have these moments where you don't sleep well and you don't really remember. So when you track it, it just shows you a little bit more over time to be more conscious about it. So I, yeah, I found it help. I know what you're saying about that. You naturally kind of know. Um, yeah, but it just emphasizes it for me a little bit more. So I, I really enjoy that, that insight. That was good. I, I wore a whoop for a while and I in, kind of enjoyed the insight. There was something energetically with me and the whoop that just didn't gel. So I stopped wearing it. But I'm, I know these trackables and wearables are becoming so, so prominent. I think helpful in many ways. There is a, there is a sector of the sort of scientific or medical field that would say that sometimes they can make people too kind of focused on it or change their habits because of the results to the point that it may be detrimental but I think as long as there's a balanced approach for it and it's just a, another tool in our armory that that can guide us and, and make us make better choices whether it's to do with you know, eating better, sleeping better, or, or more physical activity, and what type of physical activity? I, I think that's pretty important. I mean, like you're saying, I feel like with anything, if you go to the extreme of overdoing it, of overanalyzing, of over restricting in any of those pillars, it can have be that tipping point where it goes into the unhealthy. So I think, like you're saying, it's just you got to find a balance and kind of listen to your body a little bit, and and kind of have that balance of not being too ex not extreme all the time as that's not sustainable and that's not something that you can maintain and as that's just not real life as well just going back to sleep we obviously know that sleep gives us recovery it helps with cognitive function one one thing that you give as a good example is what happens when you don't have a good night's sleep i want you to touch on that little saying because i think that's always a really good one is this around um yeah like how how much it really affects you of not having one good night of, of sleep yeah i know for me personally it's sleep sleep's always been a challenge i'll touch on me slightly sleep has been like i said never a priority i mentioned before that i had a lot of anxiety growing up so Nighttime was when anxiety would often escalate for me because you're not being distracted by anything anymore. So all you've got is you're left alone at that time with your thoughts and if you can't get them under control. So I would distract myself often with watching TV, but then it would become, a, you know, this when I was younger, this would become a kind of safety bl uh, blanket in a way. So TV then became a problem because I would either watch TV really late and then not get enough sleep, which then doesn't help with the anxiety the next day. And it just kind of rolled on or to the point sometimes where I'd, it was a comfort thing. I'd leave the TV on and fall asleep with it, which in the background, I'm sure that was disturbing through the night, both from the flicker and color of the TV subconsciously and also also the noise. So that's not something I do anymore. Um, we certainly don't, we don't have a TV in the bedroom. No, um, when we met, you had a TV in the bedroom. Yeah. Didn't stay there very long. <laughs> it didn't. And, but that was at that time, you know, being yeah. alone and that was part of my. And, and I get it. I feel like for a lot of people, the <coughs> TV is, is really the thing that helps them sleep. It's a, it's a tricky one because I feel like, um, at the, ultimately I think it's counter, 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 what do you say? Counter, productive. counterproductive really. Um, so I feel what anyone can try to take that out of their lives, I, my opinion is would be a benefit, would really be better. So like even when we think about being on our phones and iPads and TVs, like even scientifically knowing the blue light exposure doesn't signal to your body that it's nighttime, that it's time to rest, to go to bed. And I think that's a, it's, that's really interesting for our brains. And I think it's really important to, um, maybe to try not to have the TV in the bedroom. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, I wouldn't even dream of it anymore. I mean, I have no desire to watch TV. In bed, it just doesn't uh, doesn't appeal to me. Going back to what you were saying, uh, do going back to Dr. Matthew Walker, what he says, he thinks, and we talk about these three pillars of, um, you know, fitness, nutrition, and sleep. Um, typically, they're 
lumped together in the same kind of ratio of importance. But he would say, and I've heard him say it, that he puts sleep first. And obviously he's a sleep expert, so he's going to lean that direction. But it kind of makes sense when you think about it, because if you miss the gym one day, doesn't really make a difference to your, you might obviously not get the benefit, but it's not going to dramatically change your body shape or your life for that day if you have a binge you eat a pizza or you eat drink a can of coke or you just go off your kind of healthy eating routine which we all do which i think is healthy too again it doesn't really have a major impact but if you have a terrible night's sleep you know instantly the next day it is really going to affect you it's going to like you said affect your cognitive ability your mood uh, your productivity your motivation, your desire to do things. Yeah, everything. Really. And it builds up. If you have multiple poor nights of sleep, and we're no way medical experts, but we just know that over time it can become really... Um, uh, chronic, chronic illnesses. Yeah, chronic illness real, on both yeah. your mental health and your physical health. Yeah. So, yeah, it's. Uh, I, I totally agree with that from purely from a, you know, observation of how it affects me. Yeah, yeah. It's it's difficult. So I'm trying to remember as well. I was reading once that you almost can't make up for a bad night's sleep because I'm thinking of the next day. I mean, when we had a bad night, we tried to do like a power nap during the day to at least catch up on it. I can't remember if you really can or not, like really make up for a bad night's sleep. But it does at least help balance your energy during throughout the day. Another thing I was thinking about what helps also what I think is helpful that usually we go to one goes to bed too late it's easy to go to bed late to stretch the evening and I think what's really hard is when you try to suddenly say to yourself let's say you go to bed at 11 you're trying to go to bed at nine is to suddenly cut two hours of your day of your night of your routine and some people literally that's the time they have in the evening is to not to try to make that drastic step. Because the thing when we tried out is, because we were trying, I think at the beginning of the year, we were trying to get up early in the mornings, but still get a good seven and a half, eight hours sleep, which means going to bed earlier. But what we did is we kind of said, okay, let's try a week to do 15 minutes earlier than what we're used to. And I feel like that's a much easier approach and, and simpler to do. And then once you're in that rhythm, you don't really notice those 50 minutes and you cut another 15 minutes out the next week. And then over time, you go to bed, like in the month's time, you go to bed an hour earlier. And that really then makes a difference. But it's a sustainable way of getting there. I think that's a that's a really key thing, too. I think I think that's a sensible and good approach. That's definitely worked for us. I know we've got friends that we've talked to this about and they often have gone or tried or just or said if I go to bed at 9.30 or 10 when they're normally going to bed at midnight then they wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning or 3.30 in the morning and it seems counterproductive at that point or not not sustainable so quickly easy to go back into the the rhythm of you know your old rhythm and yeah it's it's tricky but like anything it takes a bit of time patience yeah. and discipline if if you want to make that change and that's the big question if you want to really make that change yeah yeah what about um what about nutrition nutrition so i mean nutrition we know it means eating healthy eating a healthy balanced diet the interesting thing is that there's obviously so many so many let's say diets or lifestyles out there in terms of nutrition and it's not it's really not one size fits all it's really understanding what works for your body. Some people do very well with a lot of animal proteins. Some people don't. It's understanding your composition of your body. And I think there's a lot of testing and trialing out. Um, some people don't do well with dairy. Some people do. So I think nutrition, nutrition is a really hard one. And it's a, it's a balance. I think a balanced lifestyle. I don't think anywhere we've read that it, anything that a vegetable is a bad thing for you. I don't think I found any no. <laughs> contradicting messages on that. Um, where with other in, other macros, where you think about protein as this pros and cons, uh, cutting out sugar. I think we spoke about that before. As as much as processed sugars, I think is a is important too. 
Yeah, food is extremely, it, it's, it's something everybody struggles with. It's because we've often, there's so much promotion around, or we've been brought up around foods that are, you know, highly addictive in a way. They're highly calorific. Um, you can overeat on them extremely easily. And you just said nutrition is difficult I think it's very difficult because of that, because there is so many different people promoting so many different fads, options, diets. And that's why the diet industry is so huge, because typically it doesn't work, because it's it's not sustainable mentally or it's too restrictive and people, you know, cave in or give up. But the... So just going back to whether it be hard or not, I don't think it is when you really break it down. You just need to eat. And this, again, isn't medical advice. This is just my general understanding from listening to people that cut through all the noise is that, like you said, just eat a good, solid, balanced diet that has a good um, amount of all the different food groups in the right proportions and maintain a calorie intake that is equal to your basal metabolic rate so you're not overeating if you're trying to lose weight obviously you need to under eat under um, eat those calories and if you're trying to put on weight or trying to put on muscle or do some body transformation or composition then you eat over those in a surplus and I don't think it's that difficult it's just we we live in a world now where there's so much there's so much processed food that is in front of us on a daily basis and even when people are trying to offer healthy choices there's still process elements to it there's still bad oils in it and it's very difficult so you know buying buying your own whole foods and making them yourself prepping yourself and eating out less is really one way to do it and then you can control especially portion size it's so easy to overeat with a gigantic bowl of whatever it may be yeah that makes me think of the concept that you keep hearing about the ikigai which really refers to kind of eating until you feel 80 percent full and not overeating and i think that's really looking at these cultures that incorporate that i think that's a really it's a really good way it makes sense as well because you just don't overload your system I think the other tricky thing with food, obviously, is there's a lot of emotional eating that we can tap into. And that's when it gets really difficult, because I think sometimes when your hormones are out of balance and that, again, can come through bad sleep, that's when you reach for something or reach for more than what your body actually needs, because it's an it's an emotional response. And that's that's a that's really tricky. Yeah. And I, I would say that's not something you've ever had too much of an issue with, whereas I definitely have been at times an emotional eater, whether it's, yeah, I'm tired, I'm hungover, or... Used to be. Yeah, used to be. Or there's more of a, yeah, more of a stress situation, stress eating. But without harping on about the alcohol thing, removing the alcohol from my life currently... I don't have any cravings anymore. I don't eat emotionally. So it's all tied together. It's not just the removal of the alcohol. It's now had this knock-on effect that's really helping with nutrition as well and what what the focus is around that. So it's, like I said, I'm like a self-experiment at the moment. It, it, but it's, it's really fascinating because I've tried so many things like uh, I'm sure a lot of us have. What, you know, followed a fad diet, I tried no carbs for three or four months made zero difference to my weight or body composition because I think at times I probably found other ways to substitute what I was taking out that wasn't necessarily fully healthy. Um, intermittent fasting I've done a fair amount of. I, I really like it from the point of giving your digestive system a break and squeezing that eating window and therefore that non-eating window expanding that i think that makes a lot of sense not currently doing that um but didn't again really have a huge impact on my weight or my physicality so yeah, i think it's got to be combined with a holistic approach to you know the physical side of of wellness so yeah there's there's uh, there's definitely there's definitely great things out there but in terms of 
we've tried we have tried other things where we've sort of gone vegan for a while or don't eat any dairy or vegetarian or cut out sort of, you know just cut out meat but still eat fish and we've gone back and forth but i think we just come back to just this overall balanced approach and right now prioritizing protein getting you know and that will talk to more about the physical but making sure we hit a decent protein macro every day i think is the one thing that we can say apart from cutting out bad stuff has made quite a big difference to our you know our physic physicality and then one thing um on another note that i want to touch on too is when it comes to eating thinking about more kind of mindfulness is like really that mind body connection when you're eating What I really notice is the difference is is if you sit down for a meal, slow down, don't have any distractions. Again, it comes back to technology. It comes, unfortunately, back to not eating in front of the TV, for example. Is there's a different way your body absorbs the nutrients, a different way you connect with the food, like having that conscious moments of being grateful. I mean, we have such an abundance that in front of us each day of the plates and up front of our plate we can pick any flavor we want we can i mean it's it's pretty crazy the amount of food that we can eat and the type of foods and then really having that gratitude of where it comes from what it took for that to get on our plate and then really connecting we know that the chewing process is half of the digestion already as well so it's really kind of yeah that mindfulness to do with eating as well because i feel like when you eat a really good meal and a really nutritious meal fresh nutrients but you eat it on the go you eat it standing rushing under the body under stress i just don't feel like it's doing you as good as if you ate obviously ideally a really good meal or a half as good meal but then with consciousness in mind and with peace and digesting it while you're eating it and really absorbing the nutrients i feel like that makes a big difference too and that's something that reason doesn't cost you anymore other than taking a moment and being conscious yeah we both grew up like that too didn't we that were you it was always family time around the table i know for you growing up your dad was adamant there was certainly no tv he even didn't want music on during dinner time it was about conversation and just being present around your food and, and the same for us growing up it was very much family time but as the world's evolved and pace of life gets more hectic and more convenient that yeah the eating habits have certainly changed i think that connection to the food is really important and preparing yourself like we mentioned earlier is one way to control what you're eating and how much you're eating but also going through the process of of cooking it and making it and not taking something out the freezer is is really important the challenge with that is is everyone so busy in their lifestyle now that it's sometimes much easier to a buy something that's already pre-made or pre-cooked which we know when it's processed like that unfortunately has a bunch of additives and different ingredients that aren't necessarily great for you um, or you grab something on the go um, which again there's there's so many limited choices out there it, it's difficult but um, yeah I, re I really believe in in that connection like you said and it's tough at, at our company we we in our handbook we say we we don't allow people to eat at their desks it's not because we don't want crumbs and food at their <laughs> desk is because we want them to take that time away from their computer to sit down and, and enjoy a meal at lunchtime they need the mental break they need to connect with what they're doing this is pause this is nutrition time yeah that actually um segues me into another thought when we at lunchtime we consciously go out of the office we step away it's also to bring a little bit more physical activity into our life which is the kind of third pillar that we're talking about after sleep nutrition and then physical activity physical activity sometimes is even just movement working out gym that's that's one concept it's just the moving your body unfortunately we all have a way too much of a i don't even never know how you pronounce it is it sedentary 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 <laughs> i always read it i never know sedentary lifestyle where it's just a lot of our days we were just sitting so for us it's like stepping out of the office we make it as a ritual as for us we walk either across the street we walk 10-15 minutes to another spot for lunch and that really allows us during the day to get out 
again, we're not just sitting all day anyway at our desk. I'm tr trying to get up to like get water, to entice myself to just get up from the chair. Um, but lunchtime is a ritual for us to get more movement in. Yeah, we don't even think about it, do we? It's something we do every single day without fail. I mean, it's, I mean, on the rarest of occasions would we have to need to sit and eat our lunch in the office. So um, we are very fortunate that we've got amazing weather here in Scottsdale that allows us. But even in the heat of summer when it's extremely hot outside, we would walk across the street and sit under the palm trees and the misters and just be outside and... I mean, we're obviously very fortunate here, yeah, that's so what I said, not yeah. all, not in all places, yeah. Yeah, and that, you know, there's there's challenges. So this is our perspective, and everybody has to find their way to find out whatever works for them. But discipline and routine are really really key to that. And then the other part of physical health is working out. What have you found like have works for you in terms of working out? What are the kind of techniques you found or methods is there any new revelations well historically i mentioned i always played sport 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 play every week twice a week all the time i didn't really throughout my studying as a child through my teenage years into adulthood i always always played sport so it's something that's been with me i mentioned for me it was a much more about a community connection more than it was about fitness i knew it was a good way to keep in a reasonable amount of shape but it wasn't something i was doing to become you know ultra fit or in um you know in a prime physical shape it was just a, a good bonus so you know as across an average of the human race i was probably in pretty good average shape you know i wasn't an elite but i certainly wasn't a, a couch potato um, after I stopped playing sport, I took up running, um, really started to enjoy that, found it very hard to begin with, wasn't naturally, whatever a natural runner is, but I wasn't naturally blessed as a runner. But I started, yeah, that was a joined a club back in England and would go twice a week. And I really enjoyed that. We'd run, you know, between five and 10 Ks twice a week. And th that was great. That was, that was really helpful for me. And it gave me a new perspective on sport, but again, didn't sort of get in amazing shape. We used to do a bit of HIIT training back then. I remember we did spin classes, um, early morning spin classes. So I've always done a bit of everything. Then in the United States, CrossFit was probably the one time where I did something completely new. And it was actually, it was, it was I saw it on TV when we moved in. I didn't have a clue what it was. Looked into it, found a local gym. But actually, apart from the fitness thing, it was about oh, is this going to be a good way to build a community of people and friends around us? And that was really, I'd probably say 70% of the motivation as it was the fitness. Yeah. The fitness obviously was a byproduct. And it really did, it worked both ways. It it did allow us to build a, a great community of yeah, friends. Yeah, we made some great friends. Really amazing. I really enjoyed the camaraderie and crossfit the encouragement it was hard though i mean i've not done anything like that you would read some of those workouts and the <laughs> amount of repetitions that you'd have to do of certain exercises was just i mean it was off the charts i look back now we don't do it anymore um it was it was mind-blowing but but it was great it was good physically and mentally because it pushed you beyond what you thought your limits were because at home on my own in our garage i would never have done that i'd given up halfway through but when you're encouraged or around a group of people um competing against them but then really just competing to be a better version of yourself it it really was good um unfortunately that gym closed down and looking back, it was at a time when it was very stressful at work for us getting established here in America. So uh, CrossFit workouts are stressful and that combined with a stressful work life, I don't think that was actually great. I don't think our bodies or brains ever really got a chance to calm down. So, yeah. And then beyond that, COVID came along and we started working out in our gym, uh, sorry, in our garage. We built a little home gym and tried various things. Like everybody, I've looked on the internet, what's the best thing for me? You're trying to lose fat, you're trying to build muscle. Is it HIIT training? Is it resistance training? It's a bit of everything. And there's a million different people telling you a million different things. What I've come to the conclusion for myself is, though, that it is a 
prominent focus on resistance training. So progressive, progressively lifting heavier weights is the is the goal and and the challenge with um, some low state cardio intermixed, whether that's walking, um, you know, a little bit of cycling on a bike or on the Peloton, and then maybe once or twice a kind of a short burst for me of, of a HIIT workout to get, you know, a full heart rate going. And that easiest way for us to do that, we are fortunate to have a Peloton. So 15, 20 minute, a full heart rate Peloton. It seems to be a good balance for me where it, I can really start to see the physical changes in my body and that coupled with, as we mentioned before, making sure we get the right amount of protein intake is is something that I can and start to see. And what we know or what I've read a lot of is that there's a lot of experts or doctors or people in the medical field promoting muscle gain over or prioritizing muscle gain over you know what you think about cardiovascular health from running or jogging and i'm not a medical expert i'm just relaying what i've read and heard and i think a lot of it is it's that protection of your body and your joints as you get older that we know so many elder people have falls and that's sadly what typically takes them out but building muscle for those for those everyday um it's kind of like functional fitness isn't it but it's training for life um that's the Gosku method. It's about what what do you do every day? You need to train for it. And building that skeletal muscle is really important for that. It goes beyond just the physical um, appearance. It's about really taking that step to longevity um, through muscle mass, protecting the joints. What about you? What has been your fitness journey I mean, I think similar to what you were saying is the focusing really on muscle growth. I always found it really hard to work with really heavy weights. It just doesn't come very natural to me. I think this year I focus a little bit more on strength training and I can see my kind of strength growing. Um, I'm still kind of trying to figure that out enough. Actually, um, just looking into like an online coaching I and mean, what amazes me is what is possible these days what you can do just through technology is on your phone is you can really like a global virtual coach i mean for nutrition you can do it for exercise is and it's kind of also an accountability partner in a way uh, i think that's always really helpful so i'm i'm kind of discussing with them at the moment what my goals are and then trying to see what programs they put together to me so i can definitely report back once i've trialed and errored that out um again when i think about food and think about balance when I think about working out I think about balance equally as important is the uh, like stretching yoga is the um, mobility of your body as well is to kind of really make sure that we're flexible because our flexibility is really really important and it's that it's that balance between like being strong but flexible I think that's a really good combination and that's something I'm kind of striving for what I also want to touch on is when you're in a good routine like I think sometimes it's the hardest is to really find something that works for you to get over that first hump of especially when you haven't exercised for a long time or you haven't been to the gym or never been to the gym is that moment of starting because it's really not it's not comfortable it's you feel awkward it's hard you're exhausted it's pushing through that and making it really unnegotiable in your mind telling your body no we're doing this today and once you push through that once you get to that point and you start feeling a bit of strength you start seeing ideally your body shape it takes time though because you gotta have a bigger picture a bigger beyond the motivation like a reason why you're doing it to push you through those hard times but once you feel that then i feel like it becomes a very natural thing you want to do and you miss out when you don't do it and that's a little bit for me with exercise what I found really helpful is there are times when either you have an injury, for example, and you can't exercise, is to not lose that consistency and routine and still maybe get up at the same time you would if you exercise in the morning, you wake up. Mentally think about the exercise, think about the muscle, or do a minimum. I feel like if you can't do any strong exercise, maybe at least go for a walk. Like Stay in that rhythm, that routine about giving that time to your body then it's much easier to slide back in when your body's healthy again 
to know that's the time I carved out and it's not I slept until 7 and now I've got to get up at 5.30 again. It's you're staying in the rhythm. And it's similar with um, injury or sometimes it might be a moment where you just have a different priority and you're time, crunched for time. What we've done in the past is we, if we had like 10 or 15 minutes, we just do some push-ups, some sit-ups and air squats, whatever it is, just a little something that you feel your mu muscles and you feel your body. I feel like that's still keeping you connected to that rhythm of not falling off, of not getting so much out of the routine that it's a, such a hard thing to get back into it. And I think that's the key with exercise is once you're through that really initial hard phase of even working out is to kind of maintain a level of it that your body needs it and wants it and it's not that real monstrous thing to get over every time. But the only so the only time I would say is when you're on a vacation, it's also okay for that period of time to say, I'm consciously saying that's complete time out. That's like rest day, that's the week rest, whatever long it is. You you made some great points there. It's it's about balance, like we said. It's about finding what works for you in your you know, in the in the country you live in, the world you're in, the environment you live in, the lifestyle you have, the stresses or strains that you have on your life uh, sometimes if you're a shift worker it's very hard to build routine because it changes i know my sister younger sister she works as a forensic scientist she works on shift i can't imagine i'm a person who loves routine so it's very tricky and just going back to me and my journey i've never ever been able to get into what i would call true physical great aesthetic shape and whilst it's not that I can't the reason that it hasn't happened is that I haven't given it enough priority in my life and I've done enough to like you said maintain some level of fitness muscle mass whatever it may be but by no ways have I ever been in what I would call great physical shape I'm experimenting right now and I feel like I'm working on the right path well have to keep moving it forward and tweaking it and maintaining as it goes forward. I think on the, just on that note, priority is important, like you were saying, and then really having a compelling reason, I feel, that gets you beyond the initial motivation and having a very clear vision of what you want for yourself, for your health, physically, visibly on the outside, but then also on the inside and how your health is, how your blood work is it's like th those nuances as well because it, it's it's obviously not just the outside yeah and, and that's that's a fundamentally key for for my current success or journey at the moment is that having that why or that purpose that goes that it's basically this the strongest pull towards and you have to or one has to find a way that has something in life that is pulling them towards that reason to be or prioritize those things beyond maybe for me it was you know going out too much or drinking too much or socializing too much or socializing too late in an unconscious way without that i think it's very difficult because beyond that motivation which typically wanes in the you know maybe it's a month two three months in that's why people's new year's resolutions typically fail away fall away by the end of january or into february or march i think there's a there's a special date maybe it's the 21st of april or something where whatever it is there's some stat that nice 90 percent of people's new year's resolutions have and we've have been there on. oh i'm i'm exactly one of those people i'm just starting to realize now at this phase and what i'm focusing on that it's it's giving me the structure and the focus and i think the biggest part of it is that that why or that purpose I believe has to be beyond yourself you know how if you're going to do this or achieve this how's it going to not only help you but help those around you whether it's your family or if it's your you know work colleagues or your friends or then society or your local community and however big you want to expand it when you're doing it for people beyond just yourself I think there's a whole different level of of focus and priority motivation wanes you can't rely on motivation people have different levels of motivation we wake up one day bouncing to go into the gym the next day we don't so 
for me, it comes down to discipline. Discipline just means you do it when you don't want to. And uh, Mel Robbins is great. She gives a great example of this in all facets of your life where on the days we often don't feel like it. Well, that's when you're going to do it anyway. I don't feel like getting out of bed. Get out of bed. I don't feel like going for a walk. Go for a walk. I don't feel like eating healthy today. Eat healthy. I don't feel like going to the gym. Go to the gym. I don't feel like having that tricky conversation with my boss have that conversation so it's it's how you feel can't govern your life because our feelings change on a daily basis either you didn't get enough sleep so you don't feel like it some somebody's annoyed you or pissed you off at work or at home therefore you don't feel like doing x so it's just about routine and discipline and just plugging away and just keeping it simple and i think for me, everything is when you boil it down and cut out all the noise. And you mentioned noise in your first episode. Oh, I'm I'm Did, so much about cutting out noise because yeah. that's that's really when you can understand a what you want and you can understand how you get there and what you have within you to get there, without looking at the outside. Yeah, it's a, that's huge for me. Yeah, and the, you know, there's and the, the other amazing thing is we live in a world now where. Any piece of knowledge that you want to find or learn about is accessible. Oh, that's, the, there's no question. Yeah, it's everywhere. But we know, and we always laugh about that when self-help becomes shelf-help. Yes. <laughs> when the book sits on the shelf or it's the, the article in the head that you, you read and then you don't execute on it. I think that's the really, the doing is the key thing. And I I've also feel like not trying to be a masterpiece at whatever that is, if it's the, the sleep, the nutrition or the physical is to really say, okay, I'm making a small step towards it. It takes a bit more patience because we sometimes we just want to see a result the next day, but it just, that's just not how it works and won't ever work. So just having kind of that patience and the endurance and getting yourself with through the small steps, that's when you, and that's the, that's when sustainability comes into it as well. This is when you can actually maintain it, you keep it. It becomes not just a routine and a habit, it becomes a lifestyle and ultimately becomes your identity. And then you are the person that sleeps well, eats well, prioritizes sleep, eats well, and works out or is physically active. It's part of you and it's not something you have to do because you think you got to do it. That's the key changer in my point. Yeah, and there's, there really is no magic you know magic pill that you know getting in good physical shape takes a lot of hard work and you just got to do it but there's a reward on the other side of that it's it, it's really important to just go through that that reward process of putting in the effort and getting something back for it i think that speaks to the mental health dr andrew huberman talks about that it's interesting, Dave Asprey, who's the, he's kind of a biohacker, the guy who, who created Bulletproof Coffee. Which we tried as well. We've tried that. I've tried everything. <laughs> you know, he's very much about, you know, shortcutting or finding ways. And I'm not saying that he doesn't obviously look after himself, but it, it flies in the face a little bit of that other thought process of, you know, doing something hard and getting the reward, having put a lot of effort into it and not getting it by you know, getting a quick fix. So um, I know he, I can't remember what it's called, but he's developing a a system where there's some sort of, he's using gravity, I think it is, to develop these weightlifting machines that almost do the lifting, not for you, but it doesn't take you as much physical exertion. And it, it's something to do with a play on gravity about how it affects your muscles. So it's pretty fascinating. And you can, I guess it shortcuts the process. You can get the, whatever it is, you might get the same benefits of, say, doing, you know, five hours of muscle uh, training as you can get for him in like an hour. So it's, it's, it's interesting. There's, you know, all these things are coming, all the longevity, biohacking. And yeah. I think there's a place for all of it. It's It goes back to everybody has to find what works for them. Yeah. And you can't just copy somebody else and try and expect to get the same results because... I think what happens often is we watch somebody say on YouTube and try and mimic what they're doing, but they don't ha they they don't necessarily have the same other pressures of you in their life, whether it's around family responsibilities, you know, the pressures of children taking them to school or the sporting activities, um, 
financial. There's there's so many different things that makes everybody individual and different. You got to find what works for you. And like you said, I truly believe that the success comes from finding a bigger why or purpose just than I want to get in I want to get in shape or I want a six pack. Yeah. So when we think about this, we start to think about design and how we start pulling this into design and this is a huge conversation on its own because so much of it you can actually say you can achieve a lot of this with very little you can you don't need anything to go and walk in nature or make sure you go for a run um you can build a pretty simple cheap um gym in your garage if you're fortunate to have one or you just can do body weight exercises um there's always been this stigma about really healthy foods being expensive. I guess that may be true to a point, but I don't know how it actually, if you, you know, if you really compared it across a week or a month of buying healthier foods versus, you know, processed foods or junk food, I mean, I'm sure there is a, a discrepancy, but I think if there's a real world or there's a way you can really focus you focus your finances in the right areas if it's a true goal for you, I, I would think. I mean, sometimes it's the the way of getting the best possible for what is available to you for the for the money to have, and it's like setting those priorities. When I think about the concepts we spoke about in physical wellness, the sleep, exercise, nutrition, and think about the built environment and design, what comes to my mind is the well-building standard. It comes to my mind because I'm, I'm a well-AP, I'm well-certified. What's drawn me to that certification is the consciousness around the human or the people in the building. And the concepts are air, water, nourishment, light, fitness, comfort, and mind. That's what the well-building standard is kind of created on, based on. Thinking about the physical, physical wellness, and thinking about physical activity, it's making, a, in, in a building, it's making spaces attractive to promote physical uh, activity. That's kind of a long sentence to explain it, but it's basically if you have a set of stairs in a building that aren't buried in the back of the building that you can easier access than the elevator or the, or the escalator, and they're attractive, they're well lit, they've got nice artwork, it's something that's enticing to do, then it's definitely something that a building can promote you taking the stairs over the escalator or the elevator. That's one example. It's incentives that a company can give to people to promote a gym membership, to promote working out. Another very obvious example is um, treadmill desks, standing desks. It's something we haven't really kind of tested out, figured out, but it's definitely something there that there's a thought around that um, to kind of be out of your chair. So kind of thinking about physical activity in the building, other than just offering a fitness facility in the building, that's a very obvious way of doing it if you're a big company to offer someone um, that works there to go out work out at lunchtime or before work, offering facilities of showers. Um, even making it more promoting of people coming with their bike to work, offering storage for the bikes, offering showers on site, you can take a shower afterwards. So that's interesting how the physical aspect can be really promoted in a building to entice you to be more physically active. That's one of the ways. Yeah, I always like that one. I can't remember, is it fit well? I can't remember what it is, but with the elevators, I know there was a... There was an initiative so that they only they would stop on every second floor so you would often be forced to get out of the elevator not on your floor and then walk up or walk down to the floor that you work on which is encouraging a lot of these things it i think it's difficult it's a challenge a lot of these initiatives play very much into the hands of people that are already mindfully motivated or disciplined to do these things take yeah. the stairs walk out at lunchtime park in the furthest parking spot from the front door etc the bigger challenge i think is to get people who aren't naturally drawn to that it's not their first choice they're accustomed just to doing the 
kind of least path of resistance is how do you how do you find ways to encourage them to do that and i can't help but to go back that people still have to find their own north star to make them really want to do it to make mm-hmm. that fundamental difference because some of those initiatives um when we think about oh you know you it's park on the furthest parking space away and walk those little things help but i think they help stack onto people that are already well versed in other um conscious fitness areas of their life for the person who really isn't i think it in my mind and it's just an opinion has very little impact on their health and well-being other than it can be a, a starting point because sometimes we're saying about you gotta start small so i feel like there can definitely be a benefit of starting with that small step and then you start feeling a little bit different it's just it's just that consciousness of feeling a little bit different than you did before when you make a, a better choice is that little difference that you feel like actually i can feel a little bit better and that made me feel better and that then sparks the sparks the rest having watched the blue zone series on netflix which is very interesting there's a lot of commonality in in those areas that seem to have their longevity principle i know what was very interesting was was singapore it's quite a small country um so they but it's fairly densely populated there would be too many cars on the road if everybody had a car or if there were two car families so they made it very expensive to own cars there's like it's extortionate you know a car costs say a hundred thousand dollars and then you have to buy a license to drive it which costs something like another hundred thousand dollars it's astronomical so that was i think one way of them controlling cars but the knock-on effect is that they have great public transport but they have a lot of really well thought out bicycle lanes walking paths so people have just without thinking and almost forced into self-propelling themselves around the city or the country to get to work or their social events etc so that that one was was really interesting so building cities that are walkable i think is huge um a lot of the big cities here in the united states are but so many of the um, sort of suburban areas don't encourage it. I know we live here in Scottsdale. It's not a walkable or Phoenix. It's not a hugely walkable environment. Um, it's sometimes quite strange even to see people walking on the street or the sidewalk. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's hard. It's hard when you got what, what was the top we hit this year? Hundred and seventeen. Seventeen. It's hard, but that's not all year round. So it's not. It's not the weather that's precluding it. It's just that the way the city is laid out and designed, there aren't a lot of destinations to walk to. It's It doesn't encourage it. But I think because it is so much restriction in the summer months that maybe that it wasn't kind of planned that way because of that. And I'm sure there's there's changes in the works as well. When we think about sleep, like we talked about earlier about the sleeping and yeah. tenants. So when I think about design around sleep, I think about controlling noise, controlling light, and then temperature and air quality are probably those other two that really contribute to that. So building rooms that are soundproof, I know we touched on before, some, you know, hotels that we design, uh, you know, it's way easier in new construction. Uh, Dealing with existing properties is is a bit of a challenge. Um, but typically they're only designed to what is ever the sort of government or regulatory standard of what the right um, sound attenuation should be within a hotel room rather than taking it to that next step, which is really focusing on, you know, this, the sleep. And I know we've spoken to um, Equinox and how they have basically created a soundproof room. They really prioritize sleep, so they make their room soundproof. Light pollution is another one. We are obviously things that we can control is phones and devices in the bedroom, TVs we mentioned. But the other one is things like, you know, the alarm clock on the nightstand or the other flashing light coming from other pieces of technology. They all disturb your sleep. Um, So and then big one for us is designing hotel rooms with blackout drapes um, to, to shut out that light. 
that's something you're mentioning at night when you sleep, which is important for the for the space to be catering to that. When we think about our body clock, our circadian rhythm, that's very much affected by light. That's affected by the exposure to sunlight first thing in the morning and throughout the day. And then the signal to your body when it gets darker at night is to get into that rest period. For a building, especially in an office building, I'd say that's really important too. They have adequate light throughout the day on your workstations and then generally that exposure to light as well. I remember you were, and I don't know if it was Dr. Andrew Huberman as well, where you got it from, but you were telling me about that sunlight exposure in the morning that you're trying to do to kind of kick off the circadian rhythm on the right track for yourself. Yeah, he's adamant he's, about it. He's, what the, he said is the first thing he will do, I guess, is governed by the time of the year and whether it is light when you get up. But yeah, he he suggests for the first 10, 15, 20 minutes, depending how bright and sunny versus overcast it is, to get bright light into your eyes, natural light, ideally, um, not through sunglasses, ideally not through the car windshield, but just being out in, in bright light for the first, yeah, first 10, 15, 20 minutes, it sets your circadian rhythm and he says it's absolutely essential to regulating your sleep. I think he even says that um, the quality of your sleep is determined by how much bright natural light you got in your eyes the day or the day before that. So he believes it's, it's fundamental. And on the flip side, it's also in the evening, making sure that we wind down the light in the evening. So lighted levels in the house are a lot dimmer. You haven't got your bright kitchen lights on. They're starting to be toned down. Blue blocking and TV screens and all those things is that to him really disrupts things as well. So um, knocking those down way before you go to sleep is important. Um, how much effect this has on your sleep? I've got no idea in reality, but you can, I'm sure there's scientific studies on it that you can look into, but it, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, it, in tying into that circadian rhythm and I know we're starting to look at that now with new technologies and lighting in hotel rooms um, and in homes is really, it, it's incredible how you can follow the natural circadian rhythm of the location you are with your light levels and settings. and Especially in the bathrooms when, when mirrors have that integrated. Yep. Yeah, that bright, I, I think we mentioned before, Hilton and their Tempo brand is that get ready zone or winding down zone, changing the light temperatures, whether it's in the morning, getting ready, it's vibrant, you're alive. I guess in a way it's playing off that bright light, natural light in your eyes through the, the color temperature of the mirror. And then in the evening it's winding down. It's a much um, warmer light, 2700 Kelvin, something like that. That's really starting to set the tone for a, a decompression and a, a good night's sleep. So we discussed physical activity, how that can be implemented in building. We discussed the sleep concept. When we think about nourishment, it seems a little bit more abstract how the built environment can help with that. On the, let's say on the residential side, you can think about the kitchen, how the kitchen is enticing you to a cook yourself home-cooked meals how the food is stored the availability of fresh vegetables and herbs in your fridge and there's a lot of concepts that are actually in the works and coming out to really make that space cater to a really healthy lifestyle to kind of nourish yourself when we think about more the kind of commercial side of things kind of going back to the world's building standards and the concept about nourishment, when you have an office building, some of those implementations that go into, let's say if there's a cafeteria, it's really promoting fruit and vegetables in that space, is prioritizing them over processed foods or even having policies around certain fats and processed foods not even being allowed on the property reducing the amount of sugars that are allowed in the in the food. So there's definitely policies around that that can really help and make the better choices more attractive for people. It's partially the space as well when you provide attractive seating for sitting down, community tables, 
bringing people together, like we spoke about earlier, where kind of our childhood backgrounds comes from, is you coming together for a meal and enjoying the meal together, conscious talking about it, ideally than being by you sitting by yourself on the phone. And that's definitely how the build space can promote promote those choices. Is there anything you can think of from from your end when you think about nutrition? I like the idea of going back to what we were talking about earlier about connecting to the food. So we we like to on a weekend cycle to the farmers market here in Scottsdale, buy a lot of fresh fruit and vegetables for the week, come back and cook them and make them and prep for the week, which is great. Next step further than that is having something at your house where you can actually physically grow your um, grow your vegetables. That actually talks to one of those blue zone areas where a lot of that physical kind of continual movement of maintaining a garden or a vegetable patch kind of has double benefits. You're connecting with the food, you're growing it, it's organic, but then there's a lot of that kind of functional fitness. You're bending, you're standing up and down. So a lot of their their um, elderly residents were really benefiting from that because they spend their life have spent their lives nurturing their sort of vegetable patch they are maintaining without thinking about it, they're doing kind of mini squats and twists and bends all the time so it, it's pretty fascinating that actually reminds me of something i was reading a little while ago and i think it's a concept in berlin um, where an architectural office is looking at a an ideal scenario of a supermarket having a rooftop garden where you're actually growing the vegetables that are then being sold in the supermarket and especially some herbs and more delicate vegetables that really get destroyed or nutrients get nutrients get destroyed through transport is to have them being grown on the roof and then pretty much fresh from the roof roof to roof to supermarket to table kind of concept which i think is a really interesting one so that's kind of what you were saying about in the residential field is how can maybe commercial spaces promote that um, really kind of fresh food as well access to fresh food yeah uh, i think it it would be great anywhere we can you know everything is everything's driven by money isn't it whether it's agriculture um farming as a whole the health industry i mean everything's just it's all about money and i watched a great video the other day on the diary of a ceo i can't remember the name of his guest but he was talking about food and nutrition and as as most of us know i think the the idea that if something has more than three ingredients on the packet is probably not great for you because there's so many other things to transform it change it even if it's promoting to be something healthy if it's a protein bar or something like that often they have to put so many other things in it to make it taste good or have some longevity to it so it can sit on the shelf for that period of time. But he was saying typically if some something has a claim on the label um, that somehow is promoting a benefit to you, it's probably best to avoid it because the thing that they take out is normally substituted with something back in that isn't great for you. So, yeah, that's... And that was an interesting take, even if because we're everything seems to have protein written on the label nowadays because that seems to be the real fad. But it, it may have some protein in it, but what else has it got in it? You know, that that's not so great for you. And then when I think generally about, you know, f design and fitness, gyms have been around forever, they're great. Um, encouraging people to go and then I, I like the idea of building a bit more of a community so i think i mentioned last week's less transactional like go there do my thing and leave it's like how can you build a bit more of a community there's a social club around it there's that's where crossfit was very good because it was very much built around community and that crossfit community is huge and it is that helping your neighbor encouragement rather than being an individual who just turns up goes to the gym and works out and of course we're not knocking that anybody who goes to the goes to the gym making gyms appealing um when i think about gyms in hotels depending on the level of the hotel or the type of demographic they're trying to attract you know some Some hotel gyms are terrible. They've got no natural light in them. They're in the basement or they're in a, you know, just converted room that has no outlook. Um, there's off-gassing from rubber floors. 
you know, it just does it and there's the horrible fluorescent lights. It's just not appealing. So how can we make spaces like that? I think prominent front and center. So if you walk past them when you're checking in or something like that, or they, you know, they're front and center when when you're in the public space that you're going to think, oh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to make sure I work out. Or they have connection to the outside. There's an indoor-outdoor connection. They are... They're well lit. They've got great clean equipment. They're, yeah, they're just really encouraging and promoting rather than being an amenity to check a box on a website just to, you know, meet a rating on a, you know, on a, on a hotel buyer's website. And then going beyond that, more now with the physical, these social wellness clubs that we spoke about that are popping up, they're becoming more prominent, whether there's something that's got hot and cold therapies where people are going to as a group. So, you know, that still speaks to physical. I think it's obviously more internalized. Um, but I think this is one of the best things that happened out of COVID, which was obviously horrendous, was that moment of pause that got people to evaluate their lives and what's important to them. And I do believe for a lot of people that health, wellness, fitness became... A light bulb moment for a lot of people that went okay now i actually need to look after myself a lot more and that's why there's now more of these initiatives or these um environments popping up and becoming way more more mainstream so that that's really exciting because it's is everything without your health you're, you're nothing uh, what is it a dying man or an unhealthy man that has one wish whereas somebody's fit and healthy has a million and it's so true so keeping yourself in great physical um shape, shape yeah is is so important um and it also and we'll the mental shape we'll talk about that later but that's actually going to be um our next episode is does. talking about the mental intellectual wellness yeah. wellness, wellness. wellness. <laughs> but it, it, the, the physical work it, it, there's never is really a time where you work out and you feel worse mentally than you did before you started so it has yeah. such an impact on your mental health and it has an impact on your mental health because it's that self-reward you're able to go yes you know i did that for myself mm. and you can give yourself a pat on the back awesome all right, so next week's mental health. Next week we talk about what the wellness uh, aspect of mental and intellectual wellness, yeah, and see how that um, how affects how that affects us, what our experiences with that, and then um, how that can be addressed in the again in design and architecture. Perfect. All right. See you next week. See you next week. <laughs>